In this chapter, we see how to live a pleasing life to God. Three things are included as we consider this topic. We saw in our first study that we of all people are the most free. We are free from death. We are free from sin. We are free from, we'll, we'll be free from the grave when death no longer has its sting. And with all of this freedom, what are we going to do with it? Use your freedom for good. Use your superpower, freedom, for good to be able to edify yourself, to be able to bless other people, to be able to bless other people. And you can use your freedom to be preemptive towards your own personal struggles. You have a certain area that you struggle in, that you seem to fail in periodically. You can use your freedom to build your strength so that when you face those, you're able to overcome them. You don't give in to them. The second is very much like it, and that is that we are to walk in love towards one another. We saw last week that above all things, God wants us to love each other. And if we truly will love, it's the fulfillment of the law. And if I'm walking in love towards everyone around me, it is going to take sin out of my life. This passage is similar. It's to, to keep step with the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. When you became a Christian, it was the Holy Spirit that actually generated you into the kingdom of God and has been in you ever since. And if you can keep in sync with the Holy Spirit, then you'll be planting seeds that will reap righteousness. Now, the title of our message is The Power of Walking in the Spirit or Keeping in Step with the Spirit. I also thought of staying in sync with the Spirit, which I like as well. The Bible clearly says, walk in the spirit, this is our text, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What a promise. We can overcome the flesh. And I want to give you, maybe even those of you who have been Christians for a long time and have struggled with your flesh and failed against it, I want to give you hope today that you can live that pleasing life with God. I want to also talk about how we can walk in the spirit. Now, many people try to defeat or control their flesh by sheer willpower. And I can't give you the number of sermons that I have sat in. I got saved when I was 14 years old. I, began, I, I left the United Methodist Church and began uh, attending an Assembly of God church. And we heard a lot of preaching on holiness. It was part of the holiness movement. They believed that they could, uh, that particular church believed that they could achieve perfection here on earth. And I heard a lot of messages on righteousness, I heard a lot of Gomer Pyle messages. That's shame, shame, shame on you. Shame, shame, shame. How bad you are that you give in to sin. A lot of times being really encouraged to give purity to God and holiness to God only to find out within a couple of weeks that I had failed. I had enough energy to be able to make it through a few days, but only to find out later on that I would fail. Focusing on things not to do. A message that says, stop doing that. Stop doing this is, is ultimately a failure. The problem with it is the more you focus on the flesh, the more you focus on not doing your struggle, the more, it, it dis, the more distracted you get towards it or the more it brings attention to itself. And so you seem to be kind of brought into it. I thought tonight as I'm bringing a message on purity and righteousness and wanting to give that purity and righteousness to God, how many sermons I have sat in where the guy starts preaching, 
He starts naming off different sins. And the next thing you know, I'm sinning in my mind. Next thing you know, I got the battle raging in my mind. And I had to check myself as I was making my notes today. I don't want this to be that. I don't want us to focus on the flesh. I want us to focus on the spirit because God has given us a way that we can be preemptive doing something today that is going to help me tomorrow and is going to help me in a week and a month and a year doing things daily in my life that are going to help me be able to face those struggles and those difficulties that are in all of us there's none of us that don't have it if anybody tells you well I don't struggle at all in the flesh except you're a liar other than that everything is really good for you the Bible says all temptation is common we might have little different points of where we're tempted, but all temptation is common. We all are tempted. We all have failed. We all know what that failure feels like. We've all had to go back to God and say, Lord, will you forgive me? I can't believe that I've done that, that I said that, that I did it. I remember years ago trying to get a handle on how I was disciplining my kids, had read the book um, uh, uh, from James Dobson, The Strong-Willed Child and was really trying not to discipline them out of anger. And it just seems like I was being tested at every turn. I'd be driving down the road and be like, going on behind me in the seat. And, and then here would come, you kids better stop, you know. And then I'd go driving home going, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. So whatever that struggle is, whatever you're going through, whatever is that reoccurring thing that's happening in your life, I want you to know that God knows it and God has given us a way to be able to overcome it. And it is preemptive. It is by using our freedom for good, for edification. It is by walking in love towards those that are around us. That's going to take care of a lot of things. If we genuinely say, I'm walking in love today and staying in sync with the spirit that is already inside of you as a Christian. Now, there are a couple other promises that are like this one. This is a very powerful passage. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's very powerful. And if we can apply it, it's going to be really powerful. But there are a couple others that are like it. One of them is Psalms 37, 4 and 6. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. No, the he will bring it to pass. You're trusting in God. You're committing your ways. You're delighting in the Lord. He will bring it to pass. Notice the next verse. He shall bring forth righteousness as a light. You're delighting in God. You're, you're uh, committing your way to him. You're trusting in him. And he's bringing righteousness. You have your part and he's going to work the other part. God's not saying in that passage, you rotten, horrible, you know, sinning Christians, bring forth righteousness to God. And I'm not ever saying there's no command in the Bible that says that. But I love passages like this that tell us that we have something we can do that will cause God to bring forth righteousness in my life. And since God can do anything, this seems like a win-win for me. I delight in God. I trust in him. I commit my ways to him and he will bring forth righteousness as light and your justice as the noonday, it says. We have another passage like it in the New Testament. Jesus speaking in John 15, 5. I am the vine. You are the branches or the branches as the song. He who abides in me. So you think of a, of a vine 
and a branch attached to the vine and the vine getting life from the branch. So we stay attached to Jesus and we get life that comes from being attached to Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him bears much fruit. There it is. It just, it happens. If you stay attached to Jesus as a vine, there's going to be fruit in your life. There's, there's no way to avoid it. A well taken care of vineyard, the branches produce fruit. You will produce fruit if you in, make an effort to stay close to Jesus. And again, you're not doubling down on whatever your struggle is. You're saying, I want to stay close to Christ. I want to stay attached to him. He goes on to say, for without me, you can do nothing, which tells us a lot that we want to stay attached to him because the things that aren't of Christ don't mean anything. Without me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my word abide, words abide in you. So there's two different areas. We stay attached to him and his word abides in us. We know the scriptures, we're studying them, we're memorizing them, we're able to get them into our mind. And I want to be really practical here. There are several Bible memory apps that are really good. Take time to download the app. Take time to check and see if you have these passages memorized. There's a lot of good systems on these different apps. When I was a new believer, we had memory cards. We would go, I would go to um, Living Word, which is in Albuquerque. I guess Gospel Supplies was here when I got here in the 80s. But I would go to Living Word and um, I would buy the little flashcards that I would look at the scripture, flip it over, it would give you blanks. And then a little bit later on, you would just kind of hide it, say it, and then come back and do it. And interestingly enough, if you've heard me, heard me quote a scripture over, a, if you've been coming for a couple of years and you've heard me quote one scripture over a couple of years, it's because I memorized that when I was like 14 years old. I, I, I memorized a, a myriad of passages and flashcards don't really do it today. I'm sure they're still around, but you have your phone with you and you're going to be staring at it as you're waiting in line at Chipotle anyway. So you might as well utilize the time to do something edifying for your soul, to have God's word abide in you. Take Jesus up on what he says. Abide in me and let my word abide in you and you will have whatever you ask. Listen to what he goes on to say. He says, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now that doesn't mean he's gonna give you ungodly desires. It means as you're abiding in Christ and as his word is abiding in you, your desires are becoming godly. You're wanting godly things within your life and you want this. And as I said a few weeks ago, you want it even if you don't want it because you don't want the destruction and the deceptiveness of sin. We are so easily deceived by it. And we want to give God righteousness. It's just part of being a Christian. As we, we, we want to give him holiness, we want to give him righteousness. We just get so lost and we don't know how to do it. Now let's consider a few facts about staying in sync with the Spirit. Let's consider a few things about the Holy Spirit that will help us really understand how we can stay in sync with the Spirit. The first is Galatians 6, 7, and 8. And we're going to get here and we'll do a whole study on this principle, but I just want to touch on it today. This is a similar principle, something you can do today that is going to affect your righteousness tomorrow. It says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, do not be deceived. 
And a lot of people are deceived on this point. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh of the flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit of the spirit will reap everlasting life. When I was a young, when I, again, when I was a teenager, 14, 15 years old, before I could drive, and they gave you your driver's license in Albuquerque at 15 and eight months. I think they still do. What do they do here? Is it 16? It's still, it's still pretty crazy to me. I, I got my, my learner's permit at 14 and eight months. But I was riding my bicycle, my 10-speed, all around Albuquerque, everywhere I would go. And I would preach to my front tire. I wanted to be a pastor. And I would preach to my front tire. And that front tire heard messages on sowing and reaping over and over again. You don't know how many messages that front tire heard about, you know, if you reap, you're going to sow. That's what you're going to get. What you're putting in, you're going to get out. You know, those kind of things. But it is such a true principle. We get deceived when we think, I'm going to do this, but there's not going to be a crop that comes from it. And the crop is not just always more sin. That very well can be the case. You're sowing, and so it can lead to more sin. But the crop, it says, is corruption. So sin leads to destruction and corruption. But sowing to the Spirit, doing things to the Spirit, deliberately in the Spirit, uh, for the Spirit, today brings life. There's a command to be filled with the Spirit. It's actually a command to do it. Like we have to take action to be filled with the Spirit. I want to say to God tonight, fill me with your Spirit. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? So here we're talking not about the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, but we're talking about the empowering anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I realize that term has been so abused and misused. Nevertheless, there is an anointing at which God pours out the Spirit on someone. The Spirit in the Bible, that's the, the picture for the Spirit is oil. And they would anoint kings and priests with oil. And the picture is the Holy Spirit anointing you, empowering you, strengthening you. So here's what it says in Ephesians 5.8. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So just like you can make a decision to be drunk. You can make a decision to be filled with the Spirit. And this is not any kind of comparison. And shame on the church who has turned this into a comparison. I went to church and I got drunk in the Spirit. I was stumbling all over the place. I was, I was, I was uh, calling out like a dog. I was roaring like a lion. Some of the things that you've watched in this uh, Toronto blessing movement, and it's called a few other things as well. They take this passage and say, you can be drunk in the spirit. You can have laughter in the spirit. You can act like an animal in the spirit. The Bible says the spirit of the prophet is under the control of the prophet. And, and the last fruit of the spirit is self-control. So how could we ever get out of control? I've seen preachers preaching. And then they get on, they start doing weird things. They get really weird. They get really weird, really weird, really weird. And then they go, where am I? What am I doing? It must have been the Holy Spirit because I don't remember it. It's not what the Bible teaches. That's not biblical, we would say. This is a contrast. Never are you more out of control than when you are drunk. I shouldn't say never because I guess you could be. There's other things that you could be on that make you more out of control. But you can be so out of control when you're drunk that you can't even walk down the road, right? You see videos of people that are so drunk 
they're on flat ground, they're leaning backwards and they literally will hit the ground because they can't move on. You can be so drunk that you are massively out of control and never are you in more control than when you are filled with the Spirit. That's the point. It's a contrast. Don't be drunk and out of control, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Because when you're drunk and out of control, all kinds of things happen. Dissipation. But when you're in control, you're able to stop those things from happening. In John 14, 16, and 17, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is a gift to us. He has given you a gift with the Holy Spirit. Do you appreciate the gift of the Holy Spirit that's been given to you? Listen to what he said in John 14, 16, and 17. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. The Holy Spirit is a helper. Are you allowing him to help you in your life? He's a helper for you that he may abide with you forever. The very Spirit of God. Genesis chapter 1. In the, heavens God created, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit was over the surface of the water. That same Spirit is abiding with you forever. It says that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. This was them before it was under the law. He was with them. Before you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit was with you. He was convicting you of sin, of righteousness and judgment. And you came to Christ under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's not condemnation. Don't, don't confuse those two words. It's conviction, which means to be convinced that you need help. Be convinced that you need salvation. And then he says he will be in you. And for us, he is in us. For them, the disciples he was with, he would breathe on them in John chapter 20 and say to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And he would take up residence within them. So we have the Holy Spirit in us today. You have the help available to you right where you are today if you are a genuine Christian. In uh, John 14, 26, Jesus said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. I often pray before a study, Lord, you be our teacher. Let the Holy Spirit be our teacher. This is the passage for that. Because as I'm teaching things, the Holy Spirit is working to teach these truths. He will teach you all things and then bring to remembrance all things that I have said to you. And I'll never forget some of the first time that the Holy Spirit came on me, upon me, to be able to witness. And when it, you know, there, I'm just as awkward as you guys when it comes to witnessing. When I feel like the Holy Spirit's prompting me to witness to someone on a plane, I'm always like, so what do you do? I'm just trying to figure out, you know, how do you start this conversation that's going to lead to something that is significant? But I'll never forget the first few times that it happened where all of a sudden the Spirit began to move and I began to give passages and it began to be really powerful. And it wasn't, it wasn't me. It was the Spirit working through me. And I know you've had those kind of experiences where it's the true anointing that's happening to you as the Holy Spirit helps you and brings Scripture to your memory. All of a sudden, I'm bringing up Scriptures that I don't even know that I knew because it fits in what's being shared. The Spirit teaches and reminds us. Romans 8, 6 through 8. This is the, Galatia, the Romans passage for Galatians 5, 16. Walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is the Romans passage for that. 
Remember, they, they kind of go hand in hand. They both teach the same thing. Romans, a longer version. And so Romans 6, 6 through 8 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, carnal, carne asada, flesh. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity with God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if you are living by the flesh, you can't please God. But you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And here, I could take off and leave the passage for next week for us to cover, which maybe I will if I keep going as long as I am now. But the, the, our thoughts, our thought life, we have control over that. We've gotten so used to letting it go wherever it can go. And the Bible says, whatever's pure, whatever's holy, whatever honest, think on these things. Taking every, our spiritual warfare, the enemy comes against us by throwing fiery darts in, which I think are thoughts that he's throwing into our mind. And the shield of faith puts them out. And we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We can help our thoughts by what we listen to. We can help our thoughts by what we're, uh, by what we're watching. We can make decisions today that will help us. And, and here's where you could get legalistic, right? Here's where you could start going, you can't watch that, you can't listen to that. But we have freedom. And we don't want to get legalistic because then pride sneaks in. Instead, we just want to walk in the Spirit and be close to Jesus. We just want God to work in righteousness in us because we are delighting in Him. He's doing the work of righteousness. I'm not even having to do it because He's already doing it. In Acts 1.8, this is the power of the Spirit on you. It says, he said to his disciples, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, the fact that it says ends of the earth there, I realize that these disciples went all over the world, but I think that it speaks of you and me as well, not to just these, these 12 men, but that they were to go all around the world and we are here in Tucson and can be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit would come upon you. This is a word that's used in the book of Acts to talk about the anointing, what I would call the anointing or the empowering. I don't have any problem with any of the words people use for the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit, the infilling of the Spirit, the receiving the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, the overflowing of the Spirit. I like all those words. I don't have a problem with any of them. There's even one passage in Acts chapter 8, where it says that talking about them being baptized in the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, it says, for they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. So it, it's, not a, it's not calling it directly baptism of the Spirit, but it is talking about them having hands laid on them and receiving the Spirit and saying they had only been baptized so that there is a baptism of the Spirit. A lot of people will say, that's not accurate, that's not correct. It's like, eh, that verse makes me think maybe that's otherwise. At the very least, it's not, it's not a violation of anything. But to be baptized in the Spirit, the word baptism means immersed. To have the Holy Spirit immerse us. Come upon us. That we'll share our faith. And I don't know about you, I need help with that. I need help being able to share Christ with the people around me. He will guide you in all truth. It says in John 16, 12 through 13. I, um, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, 
the spirit of truth has come. Note it's a he. We probably should point that out when we're talking about a, a, a sermon on the Holy Spirit and walking in the spirit. It's not a power. When Star Wars came out in 19, I think it was 1976, uh, a friend of mine said, this is an amazing movie. You got to go see it because it's got the Holy Spirit in it. And I went to go see it. It was like, these are not the droids you're looking for. I'm like, I, I don't think, I don't think the force is, it's not a force. The Holy Spirit isn't a force. It's a person. He, the spirit of truth, has come. When he has come, he will guide you into all truth. We're looking for the spirit to guide us into truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but, uh, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will tell you things to come. So the Holy Spirit is going to be working with the things Jesus said, bringing us the scriptures. The Bible says all scripture has been inspired by God. The Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures to be written. It's two more verses. Then we'll take a look at our text, I think. Uh, Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. You trusted in Christ after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit sealed you. That's a sign of, of ownership. The idea is a, a ring that seals a letter and he gives it to someone. This is from me. We have been sealed because God's doing a work inside of us. We are sealed as a letter he sends out into the world that people can see Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are ambassadors of Christ, the Bible says, as if we are imploring the people to come to Christ. That's what we're doing. Finally, the spirit is involved in salvation. Or I should say a continuation of that thought. The uh, spirit is involved in our salvation. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now, this is not water baptism. Baptism simply means to be immersed. And the New Testament uses baptism in all kinds of different ways. So those who believe in baptismal regeneration will take every passage where baptism is mentioned and make that water baptism. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. We're immersed into the body of Christ when we're saved, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. We all have the same spirit. Doesn't matter what we look like. Doesn't matter where we come from. We all have the same spirit. Now, this is the spirit that we are supposed to walk in, that we're to keep in sync with, that we are to, to keep in step with. So let's look at verse 16. For I say unto you, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, the reason I went over all of those verses was to be able to get really practical about how you walk in the spirit. How, how do you walk in the Spirit? You have fellowship with the Spirit. You set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You don't, set, you don't set your mind on the things of the flesh. You get really practical about where the Spirit will lead you and guide you. Now, the Holy Spirit is responsible for everything that is written within the Word of God. And, and we walk in the Spirit when we obey Scripture. If the Bible tells us to do something and we go, eh, I don't want to do that. Now, I want to say, well, the Bible tells us to do something rightly dividing the word of God because there's a lot of people that want to right, wrongly divide the word of God for you. They want to lay trips on you. But when you're studying the scriptures and the scripture is clear and it says to do something, you are walking in the spirit when you are doing the things that are within the word. It, to not do it is disobedience. However, the Holy Spirit will also move in us as a, 
as a, to, to Elijah, still small voice, uh, as Jesus said, like a wind we can't see. And at times we are influenced by the spirit. And, and I heard a, a pastor say, one that I respect, by the way, say, but I don't agree with him on this, say that if you are influenced by the spirit, you're on your way home. And this is his exact analogy. You're on your way home and you think I should go home a different way. And you, and you don't follow that, then you're disobedient to the spirit. The reason that I think that that's a problem, problematic, is because am I going to teach you to follow your, you know, inclinations? Where, where might it lead you? You know, you call your wife from, I don't know, you know, Bangkok. I uh, felt led by the Spirit. I knew I couldn't be disobedient. I had to go. Certainly, we have our own desires. We have our own inclinations. It's hard enough for us to figure out if something that we hear in our mind is from us or if it's God or if it's the devil. We had all those problems. So, yeah, learning to be influenced by the Spirit the Spirit's not going to tell you to do anything like go to Bangkok without telling your wife. The Spirit's going to tell you to do things that you can go, this is in step with the Spirit. This is in line with what the Spirit wants. You know, you have an inclination. I feel like, I feel like God wants me to go pray with that homeless man. Well, then go pray with him. That, that's great. The Holy Spirit's telling me to buy that new boat. Yeah. Or... Or you might want that new boat, you know, right? So when you are moved by the Spirit, you want to be, you want to receive that. You see that enough in the New Testament. You don't see it a lot. Don't think it's like something that happens every day. This is what happens to people as they start to get into this world and they're like, I was moved by the Lord to eat Fruit Loops this morning. And then this afternoon, I was moved by God to go down this road. It's just kind of like an overly, our, our main thing is to be obedient to the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And then to learn that the Holy Spirit can lead us and guide us into, into doing things that he wants us to do. The, the Bible says that Paul was forbade by the Holy Spirit to go up into Asia. He wanted to go east from Galatia and the Holy Spirit forbade him. And then we find out that Paul had an eye disease that flared up when he was in Galatia. You know, the Holy Spirit? I kind of want the Holy Spirit to work differently in my life than flaring up some kind of a disease. But maybe he just really wanted to go and God's like, I'm going to have to do something here. Now, he tells us that this principle is important because there's a battle going on inside of you. The principle is walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The battle is verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. There's actually a battle going on inside of me where my flesh wants to do opposite of what my spirit wants to do and the spirit of God wants to do opposite with my flesh. So this battle takes place inside of me and there's a battle inside of each one of us. How strong is this battle? And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. We end up not doing what we want to do because there's a battle going on inside of us. And so part of this is recognizing I have a sin nature. When I was born again, my sin nature wasn't taken away. And if I cater to that sin nature, it is going to produce sinful things in my life. And if I cater to my new nature and the spirit of God, my, my, my new spiritual life, the spirit inside of me that's been, that's been quickened and brought to life, then I'm going to do spiritual things. I'm going to do godly things. 
And, and as I even quoted, God even does them inside of us when we delight ourselves in the Lord, which I just can't get over how much I love that verse and how I, I just rarely heard anybody bring it up. That God will produce righteousness if you delight yourself in him. So you end up not doing the things that you wish. Uh, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, that's Paul is still on his thing. These false teachers have still gone into Galatia. They're still making them under the law. And Paul is like, why would you want to live by the law when you could walk by the spirit? That's his point. Look, you've got this great, you walk by the spirit. You're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You got this battle going on inside of you. You're catering to your flesh and you're failing. And the law can't give you any power, can't give you any help. But the spirit of God indwells you to be able to help you to be able to take care of that. Now he's going to give a list and I'm going to read these, but I'm going to take a break here and um, we're going to pick this up next week because I don't want to hurry over these last few verses. So in verse 18, he says, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And he gives a list of the works of the flesh. And the first four are sexual. So he says the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, and lewdness. And those are all sexual references, different ways. And I point that out because there, people justify anything. And there's more justification going on in the days that we're living with progressive Christianity than at any other time. All sin is being justified now. We're talking about adultery, fornication, homosexuality, just all, all, kinds, all kinds of sin is being justified. And we just need to be really careful because progressive Christianity is teaching in churches and it's crept so far into churches, it's unbelievable. To follow your heart and see what you want to do. If there's ever a sure way for you to end up in sin, it's to follow your heart. We believe that, that there's original sin in everyone. Progressive Christians believe everyone is basically good. That's what they teach. Everybody's basically good. And you've just got to find that inner goodness inside of you. And so you, being, you end up being tolerant of sin, which leads people into sin and all kinds of, all kinds of things happening in our society. Um, we're living in a day when promiscuity has become as great as ever before. When there's talk of shutdowns, talk, I'm not saying anybody's seriously considering it, but talk of shutdowns for monkeypox, which is as close to an STD as you can get without really being an STD. That's how it's spread. But they don't talk about that. You never see them talk about that in studies. I mean, in, 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 in uh, news stories, they never talk about it. They just talk about how there's this outbreak of this that's, that's going on. And I realize little ears are listening. I don't want to go too much into detail, but it's worth us saying that sexual purity is a powerful thing and we want to give it to God. But we also have that strong sexual pull, which God gave us because God wanted us to have kids. And so God gave it to us for a reason. It's a gift from God, but he didn't give it to us to rule over it, us. He gave it to us for us to rule over it. That we would walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and give God that kind of purity. And, and all of these words would encompass every kind of sexual sin that you could imagine. Then he goes on to say, uh, after these first four, he says, um, idolatry, which is living for something else, having something higher than God, 
which we could easily have in our lives, we can live for something more than we do God. Sorcery, which is the word pharmakeia, which fits today as well, because there's all kinds of people who are using drugs. Uh, we get our word pharmacy from it. It doesn't mean pharmacy, but we get the word pharmakeia from, from sorcery. And in the ancient world, they would take trips to get spiritual insight. And that's happening today. People are using psychedelics and mushrooms and uh, what is that, psilocybin, other drugs to be able to have spiritual insight. Paul says, this is of the flesh. It's not of the spirit. The American Indians did it with peyote. South America did, does it with, uh, I, I can't remember the name of the drug, but there's a lot of it going on. And a lot of people who are trying to find a spiritual awakening by, by taking some kind of a, of a trip on, on one of these drugs. And some of them are, are brutal trips as well. And I'm just, I just wanted to bring it up because it's of the flesh. Just in case you think, well, maybe I'll gain some spiritual insight by, by going on this, this trip. And with all the legalization of drugs that's happening today, you're not going it's, it's, to gain spiritual insight. And I, and I think we could apply the be not drunk with wine to, to it as well as this. Um, it says um, sorcery, hatred. <laughs> it's work of the flesh. We kind of understand that. Uh, contentions, to be contentious. Do you know you cannot be an elder in a church if you're contentious? That's one of the requirements, not contentious. Uh, contentious is just picking fights. I can't tell you how many times I'll have a conversation with someone and it's just contentious. And I, and I, I try to stop it. I'll say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk to you anymore because this is not out of love. You can say anything you want to to me. You just need to say it out of love. And I'll be direct. I, I, you'll need, I, you can say anything and you really can. It just can't be mean. It can't be full of contention because it, that's not of the spirit. Jealousies outburst of wrath and jealousies by the way there can be a righteous jealousy there can be you know a, uh, a god can be righteous for his people who were in idolatry a husband can have a jealousy for his wife a wife can have a jealousy for her husband that's a righteous jealousy these kind of jealousies are look at all they've got and i've got nothing that's this jealousy the jealousy that's jealous of their lives and um outbursts of wrath Selfish ambition. Bible says do nothing for selfish ambition. Dissensions. Divisions. Looking for those div divisions all the time. Heresies. Heresies. False teachings. Are work of the flesh. Why? Because people usually have a reason for giving them. They usually got their own reason why they're teaching heresies. They're not honestly dissecting the word of God because they have their own goals and desires. Heresies. Envy. Murders which we know what's wrong. Although we live in a day when there's justification of the of, of taking of life, of the human life that's unborn. Drunkenness, revelries, which is carousing and the like. That's not even all of them, he says. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So once you look at this list, the point that is being made is if you practice these things, it's not that there might not be a temptation. It's not even that if you fail in one of these areas that you cannot come to God and find forgiveness. God's grace is immense. His mercies are new every morning. But if you practice it, you don't have the kingdom of God. There are a lot of people that practice certain kinds of sin. 
And I'm really trying hard not to channel Allen Iverson right now, just so you know. Not a game, not talking about a game, talking about practice. Anyway, maybe a, too old of a reference for you guys to really get. Uh, but it's practice, like a doctor practices medicine. Are you practicing sin? Or are you saying to God, I want righteousness and I want to walk in the spirit and I want to love you and I want to follow you and I delight myself in you. Here we get the stepping stones that helped us to be preemptive so that we don't give in to these things. That although they're justified by the world and justified by a large portion of the church, there's a large portion of the church that would say that the message I'm bringing you today is toxic when it's the word of God to help you be free. That's what he wants, free. Free to be able to walk with him, free to be able to discover the truth, free to be able to have the true freedom that God wants you to have. And so if you are practicing these things, then you need to look and see, have I genuinely made a commitment to Christ? Have I, have I moved? And I'm not saying that you haven't if you practice in them. I'm just saying there's a warning here. You need to take heed to the things we talked about earlier about walking in the spirit and being preemptive in your life towards sin and, and delighting in God and abiding in the vine. You need to do all of those things so you can get that practice out of your life because no one who practices them will inherit the kingdom of God. That's not to say you can't be forgiven now. It's just to say, this is what the word of God says. And when you really come to dealing with that righteousness, you say, I wanna give you that righteousness. Now we'll, we'll start next week with the fruit of the spirit. So now we have a whole teaching on the fruit of the spirit and I won't hurry through it. Stand up with me, would you? And let's pray together. Stand up with me anyway. Let me, let me give you a couple of thoughts in closing. All right. Number one, be aware of the battle that is within you. Be aware as a Christian that your flesh is going to be driving towards the things of the flesh, which we saw the list of. And your spirit is going to be wanting the things of the spirit. So keep in step with the spirit in order to, to overcome those. Number two, the works of the flesh bring corruption. It's not just that the actual act itself is bad, but it's what the result of that act is. It brings corruption. And that's why we don't want it. You sow to the flesh, from the flesh you reap corruption. You do those things and it brings corruption in your life. And finally, do the positives and you will be a better fighter in the negatives. I'm not saying do the positives and you'll never have to fight the negatives. I'm saying do the positive and you'll be a better fighter in the negatives. You'll win more often. You'll stand your ground more often if you're doing the things that are positive. And how much better to go out saying, I'm going to walk in the spirit. Tomorrow, I'm going to delight in God. And the next day, I'm going to delight in him more than I did tomorrow. And the next day, I'm going to delight. How, how much better is that instead of just fighting against the sin? And suddenly, you find yourself walking in victory. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you so much for the time that we're able to spend as we look at your word here and we see these passages that help us to understand that we should use what we have for you our freedom to be edified and to edify our spirit, that we would walk in love towards the people around us and that we would stay in sync with the spirit and walk in the spirit that we might really be able to avoid the lust of the flesh. We thank you for all that we learned tonight about the spirit and help us to walk in it, be empowered by it, anointed. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. Cause your Holy Spirit to come upon us. Baptize us in the spirit. Fill us, strengthen us. Let, it, let your Holy Spirit uh, 
overflow, fill us, we ask. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.